the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A priest happened to pass by in the story. I love this story. A priest passes by and he saw the man that was beaten and left for half dead, right? What did he do? He took one look and he went on the other side. Now, if you're going to have a picture of, uh, if you're going to allocate righteousness to someone, wouldn't you say, that's a priest, that person is supposed to be righteous, right? But the story, he flat out ignored the guy. He was a priest. The priest was in charge of worship. The priest was in charge of the oracles of God, you know, to declare him to people. And yet in the story that Jesus told, he saw the man and he says, huh? And then it gets even more interesting. A Levite. Now, a Levite, uh, the, the tribe of Levi were, were, were generally regarded in the Bible as priests. They are the, the priestly tribe, okay? So we don't know if this man was a priest yet, but probably he was an assistant to the priest because he wants to be a priest also. Let's just make that assumption. And he saw the priest walking and he ignored the wounded man. So he said to himself, well, if my boss over there ignored him, I'll ignore him too. It's interesting that these two guys uh, were supposed to be the bearers of true righteousness. What does it tell us? It tells us that these two characters in the parable, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, are false. Uh, their righteousness is false. They have a righteousness that comes from what they did and not with who they are. That's the main thing. In our country today, we have a lot of, we had a lot of false sense of righteousness. People are demanding to get things done right, like I said. But the sense, but that kind of demand, that kind of righteousness is so subjective that it becomes contentious. It's coming from a place of personal preference. People want their rights. We're big about our rights in this country, and we should be. But you know what? Us getting our rights don't make us righteous as people. Us having what we demand as our rights do not make us righteous. Only God can make us righteous. God did not call the church for any other reason but to impute the righteousness that, God ha that, that, that He has in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now here comes the, the big twist in the story, right? The man was robbed and beaten. He was left for dead. The priest came along, ignored him. The Levite came along, ignored him. And here comes witness of true righteousness. And you know what he was? He was a foreigner. 
he was a Samaritan. Right? Because it's a, it, it has to come from the outside. You know, the Samaritans are usually persona non grata in Israel. Okay? They were not considered as full-blooded Hebrews. They were, they were marginalized people. They're not considered, they're considered half, you know, just not fully acceptable as people. And yet in the story of Jesus, it was a foreigner, a Samaritan that came. And you know what he did? He saw the wounded man. The Bible says that he took care of the wounded man, put the wounded man on his donkey, and took him at an inn and took further care of him. The Samaritan, isn't it, isn't it amazing that this Samaritan demonstrated four things in what he did? And what are those four things? Grace, mercy, truth, and generosity. It's right there. It's very clear. The point is, true righteousness in this story did not come from the religiosity of these people, did not come from any of the other internal things that we possess. It comes from the outside. The wounded man couldn't, ha couldn't save himself. He needed someone to show him the love of God. And the same is true with all of us today who come to faith in Jesus. We recognize that we are unable to save ourselves. We needed divine intervention. We needed His love to make us right with Him. And He imputes that love for us and in us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast a foreign righteousness. The world has to see the difference between right righteousness and wrong righteousness. And the church has been given that mandate. Don't walk away from it. You're a Christian whether you like it or not. You are that light of the world. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, we are that salt of the earth straight from the mouth of Jesus. What do you think he's talking about? They need to see the righteousness of God, the love of God that is manifested in us. And as simple as that may sound to all of us this morning, that is what God says we ought to be when we come to proclaim the Word of God. Now, there's a second insight as to this righteous witness as revealed to us in the story of, 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 the, of the righteous Samaritan. And that is, number two, righteousness is not owed to us by God, but endowed for us. Okay? God doesn't owe it to us to make us righteous. You know, I know a lot of people who blames God for why they're messing up their lives. I just hear too many of these people. Oh, why does God allow this to happen to me? You know, if God is so good, you know, why am I this or that, or why does this happen to me? Listen, a person who truly knows the love of God will never ask such an uninformed question. The fact is, God is God. You know, He owes us nothing. You ever, you, could you allow God to be God for a minute and just accept the fact that He owes us nothing? 
and I heard a sermon the other day that says, oh, you know, God answers all the questions that we have. I beg to differ. God does have the question. Uh, that God does have the answer to our question. And God does know uh, what to do. And God does reveal to us the things that we need to know. Amen. Can I hear an amen? That God he gave us His Word, gave us the Holy Spirit, gave us the church, gave us all of these things. But make no mistake about it. He does it not because He owes us. He hasn't do it because, oh, I, you know, I, this is my fault. So I, I might as well just make them righteous because it's, 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 it's on me. I was in a Bible study many years ago, and uh, uh, somebody confronted me in the Bible study and, and told me, God should only punish Adam and Eve. They're the ones that sin. We are in this mess because Adam and Eve sinned. And I thought for a moment, well, he's got a point. You know, we're in this mess because... Adam and Eve messed up. Then I get to realize if Adam and Eve didn't sin, there's no guarantee that I will not. Okay? The, sooner or later, one of their kids will do it. Couldn't, could, couldn't, you know, you couldn't put the blame on anybody else. We are sinners by nature and we are also sinners because we nurture that nature. And so God says, I'm going to bestow this righteousness out of my grace, mercy, truth, and generosity. I don't owe you this, but I'm going to endow you with this righteousness. The Samaritan saw this man the Samaritan didn't have to stop. He could have rationalized and said, well, these guys are evil. These guys don't, don't even accept me. These guys are racist. You know, I'm a Samaritan. They don't hang out with us. Forget them. Let them die. But he had true righteousness. He had a love of God. In, in, at least in the story, we know he had a love of God. The man didn't, you know, didn't deserve it. But it was given to him. It was endowed for him. He was empowered uh, with that righteousness. He was empowered, endowed with that favor. That's how the righteousness of God is. The Bible says, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did the same thing. Robert De Niro, one of America's greatest actors, if not the greatest actor that, that the American cinema has ever produced. And I, I, I like him as an actor. And then he was in this show called Inside the Actor's Studio. And it's, this show is about celebrities, movie stars, who are being interviewed to talk about their careers. And at the end of this show, the host will always ask all the guests the same question. And the question is this to the movie star, whoever it was that he was interviewing. The question is this. When you enter the pearly gates, by the way, that's a big assumption, you know. He assumed that everybody is going to enter the pearly gates. But, you know, for the sake of his program, he just says, okay, if you enter the pearly gates and you meet God face to face, what would, what would you ask him? What would be the first word that will come out of your mouth? And I'll never forget it. Robert De Niro says, when I meet him, I will ask him, I will tell him, you have a lot to answer for. That was his answer. 
Now, yeah, I like De Niro fine. He's a great actor. <laughs> but God doesn't owe De Niro or any one of us an answer. God has nothing to answer for. We have a lot to answer for. It's the other way around. But it goes to show you the mentality of people when it comes to this thing. When it comes to understanding righteousness, the righteousness of God. We have this tendency, this unmistakable fallenness that tries to make ourselves equal with God. And try to put this, this onus on God alone. Our righteousness is not owed to us by God. God is not in heaven saying, you know, I need to make you righteous because this whole thing is my fault. I allowed you to live. I allowed you to be born. I, I, I allowed, you know, you can't help what you're doing, that kind of thing. And a lot of people, believe it or not, a lot of people are in that kind of mindset. Sad. But God is God. There's no one like him. He rules everything. We cannot stick our fingers to God and say, you owe me this, God. No, God doesn't owe us anything. And yet in his grace, mercy, truth, and generosity, he empowers us to be righteous. He empowered us to have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples when he rose from the dead, the command that he gave his disciples, go to Jerusalem. Wait there for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and you shall what? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my what? You shall be my political representatives. You shall be my, uh, uh, my, 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 my protesting uh, thing. You shall protest in my name. You shall have all of the restored because you will be... No! The Bible says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. That's what he called us to be. And what do you think is a witness? A witness is someone who will show the world grace. Mercy, truth, generosity. Don't get me wrong. We need to confront the issues that are plaguing our society. I'm not advocating the fact that you sit silent when wrong is being done. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying don't get involved in political issues. We should be. But for what purpose? To display the righteousness of God. To display the love of God. Not to right the wrongs. What do you think is going to make this society right? I mean, I'm asking Christians. I don't, I don't, you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not understanding a word I'm saying, by the way, okay? But I'm speaking to followers of Jesus, okay? What's going to destroy our society, listen very carefully, is not the presence of evil. What's going to destroy our society is the absence of righteousness. That's what's really going to happen. You know what God did? It's been said, Sodom and Gomorrah wouldn't have been destroyed if God could have found ten righteous people. You know, Abraham, you know, bargain, right? 
Lord, don't get angry with me. If there are 50 people in here, will you destroy it? God says, if I find 50 righteous, I won't. Lord, get, don't get angry with me. Let's bargain. Let's go barter a little bit here. If there are 30 people here, will you destroy it? God says, I won't destroy it for 30. No, Lord, Lord. If there are 20, will you destroy it? God says, I won't destroy it. If there are 30, 20. Lord, don't get angry with me. 10. God says, I'll destroy it if I find 10. You know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? You know how many people got out of there? Three. Lot and his two daughters. His two daughters' husbands didn't make it. And Lot's wife became a condiment. Every time I put salt on my food, I remember Lot's wife. She didn't even make it. She turned into a pillar of salt. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed not because the place was so wicked that God cannot forgive the sins or not, cannot destroy it. It was destroyed because the righteous has left. You know when the trumpet sounds and the rapture takes place, the righteous will be gone. And you know what? If you're left behind, get ready. <laughs> there won't be any more righteousness in the land. That is if you believe that Jesus is coming again to take his church with him. And he will. God empowers us to be righteous. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in our life. To make us righteous witnesses for God's love. I'm not discounting all the other things that the Holy Spirit endows us with. I believe that this, the fruit of the Spirit is from the Holy Spirit. All of the attributes. I believe in, all the, I believe in the spiritual gifts. Speaking in tongues. Uh, performing miracles and all of that. These are the things that the Holy Spirit supplies us for the benefit of the church but when it comes to being witnesses for the gospel it's the righteousness that we possess in Christ that will truly show the world. He empowers us and validates our witness not because of all the things that we can do you know to advance whatever it is agenda that we have but because grace, mercy, truth and generosity are evident. That's how we attain our right to witness for the gospel. We have been given an external righteousness and we are empowered for that righteousness. Romans 3, 21, 25 says, let me just read this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Now there's a final insight here that needed to be addressed regarding the righteousness of our witness and that is finally righteousness is an obligation expected of us. The parable ended with the Samaritan handing over the responsibility of caring for the wounded man to the innkeeper. Okay? That's very important. Now, I, you know, hermeneutically and homiletically, I'm going to get in trouble because I'm not supposed to go and put, uh, 
you know, extract meaning to some of these things. But this insight is important, that this Samaritan actually turned over the responsibility to somebody else to care for them. And you know what? Jesus did the same thing. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. What was the great commission? Go out into all the world and proclaim the good news, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name, singular, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he shall be with us till the end of the age. Okay? There's a stewardship element to this witnessing that we have. And that is we have been entrusted by God with his love. And we must demonstrate it. It is an obligation entrusted to us. There's a sense of expectation that God has for each and every one of us to make sure that we create disciples. Not creating them because we want them to be part of some kind of an organized religion or some kind of... They need to be part of the kingdom of God. That is our commission. That is our mandate. The righteous Samaritan entrusted the man in the care of the innkeeper with a promise to pay back whatever it may cost him. You know what? That, that, that's an amazing thing. You know, if you really kind of spiritualize that, I, you know, Jesus says, if you do this to someone else, there is something in it for you. You know when you die, if you're a Christian, do you know that God says you're going to have a reward in heaven? You're going to have a crown? What, what do you think, why do you think uh, all the disciples, after Jesus went up to heaven and gave him the Holy Spirit, they know they're going to heaven, right? I mean, you know you're going to heaven when you die because of Jesus. That is the promise of Jesus, that he will take us to heaven. So we all know that. But why do we still continue to do the things that we're supposed to do? It's for one reason. Jesus says, there's something in it for you if you become my witnesses, right? There's something in it for the faithful. I do what I do because one day I want to be rewarded. Whatever that reward is, I don't know. I haven't been to heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I know what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Ooh, I want one of those. Right? I want one of those. If I don't witness, if I don't serve the Lord here on earth, there'll be a shack waiting for me in heaven. Oh, you laugh. But there is a reward. That's the motivating factor. All right? There's a motivating factor. It's not the only motivating factor. The number one driving force for us telling people, proclaiming and witnessing for the gospel, is the fact that it is the Holy Spirit working in and through us. But the point of the matter is, we have been entrusted by this. We have been entrusted to demonstrate the righteousness of God, the love of God. It's an obligation that we have been given, and God expects us to do it because we have an expectation that one day it'll pay dividends in eternity. We have an obligation to be righteous witnesses. It is a mandate, a command, and not an option. Micah 6.8 beautifully articulates this in, 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 in the verse. It says, Micah 6.8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord, underlined this, requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So there's something in there. Again, in Proverbs 21, 
verse 3. To do what is right, to be righteous rather, and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. There's no doubt that God expects us to advance this message, to advance this gospel. Jesus is in heaven right now, seated on the throne of power and glory. We are waiting His return. We are not to wait passively, but actively. Anyone will tell us. Why? Because not only is it obligated by God, it is expected by God because we have been entrusted with this great message. The message of the love of God demonstrated in and through us, which makes us righteous witnesses. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave generosity, His only Son, that whosoever believe, that is the truth, in Him will not perish, that's mercy, but have eternal life, that's grace.